All right, welcome everybody to the Recruiter Startup episode on how to make it in America. I am joined with Toby, Carla, Jeremy, and who's this person? <laughs> Your lovely wife. My <laughs> lovely wife. All right, great. So, I suppose we'll start with you, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what PGC do and give us an overview on the American market. Sure, yeah. So, PGC, um, we're basically a payrolling company or what's known in America as employer of record. So, we basically illegally employ contractors on behalf of our recruitment agencies. We also work with not just agencies but tech startups and corporate businesses. Um, the reason they use us is they want to outsource risk and responsibility. And okay. we do all the payroll, um, timesheets, contracts, compliance, administration, keep all the contractors happy. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the landscape, we're working with about 120 companies. Wow. 80 are recruitment agencies from the UK that have now gone into the US. About 40 have offices. The other 40 are doing business in the US from the UK. All contractors. We don't get much visibility on the perm. Yeah. So these guys will probably be better to get a perm landscape, but yeah. the con contractors we know quite well. Okay, so we've been doing RecTrack for four years, and five years ago you worked for NES yes, that's as their right, internal yeah. recruiter. What was the American landscape like when you were working as a, an internal headhunter for them from a British agency perspective back then? It was really different. I mean, we I was based out of Calgary at the time, so I was recruiting for their Americas. So that included Canada, the US, and they had some operations happening in Mexico as well at the time. But in regards to the number of UK recruitment agencies that were in the US at mm. that time, it was significantly smaller. I mean, there was a small handful, you know, that were kind of, you know, going after that market. And even actually just even in the energy, oil and gas space, there was probably what NES, Fircroft, Brunel, I think Air Swift as they are now, but it was yeah. Swift and then Air Energy at the time. And that was kind of it. I mean, now there's so much more. So I think just even in that short period, you can see how many people have recognized the potential and the opportunity in America and have made that jump over there. Because, yeah. you know, when it came to a recruiting perspective, I was pretty fortunate position because we didn't have as many competitors yeah. at the time. So it was actually a nice place to be, definitely. Yeah. What, what was the stat on that uh, post that we mentioned? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the, I think the stat was something like 26,000 agencies in the UK, 29 in the US. But I think that's actually wrong. There's actually around 20,000 agencies in the US and about 45,000 agencies in the UK registered, but about 29 or 36,000 with over 250k um, revenue. Wow. And if you think of the difference in population, yeah. I think as well, it's like what the UK population is like 66 yeah. and the American is 330. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just yeah. so different. I mean, I think that is a perfect highlight to show, you know, how untapped and infinite the potential is in the Americas mm. in the minute. Yeah, I, th I mean, even with the additional recruitment agencies mm. going, you know, let's say the extra 100 yeah. over the past five years, still. there's still room to grow and they're not necessarily rubbing shoulders with each other just yet. When we were over there, we, we, we met up for a drink yeah. in between doing loads of podcasts and running around. And Charlotte getting the address. Mm. Despite booking the meeting and choosing the location, <laughs> us going to the wrong location. <laughs> Terribly sorry for that. Okay. <laughs> okay, there's more than one WeWork in New York. Yes, <laughs> and one, more than one Four Seasons. Yeah. <laughs> Just check that. But uh, when we look at the, the landscape, and I'll put this out to Ollie, but you, you first, Jeremy, what 
like is New York where most of your work is? Is it spread out throughout the country? Like, what are yeah. you seeing? We we produced a heat map based on the I think it was the past five years data of where all the contractors we'd ever employed were placed. The three hotspots were New York, California, and Texas. Yeah. In particular, you know, Manhattan, Austin, Texas, and LA and San Francisco. Those were the three dominant markets. That's where most people go. Yeah. Uh, I think typically most people are going to go straight to New York because time zone, culturally, it's quite similar to London. Mm. Um, and then they probably start looking at other places. But you can really do recruitment from one place in the US and do the whole market. Yeah. And we were talking about earlier about focusing on a niche and focusing on that niche. And with, with focusing on the niche, you can kind of place anywhere. But otherwise, it's quite difficult to yeah. focus. Yeah. Kyle, kind of, you, you didn't do the New York thing specifically, you've, you've kind of gone for, is it Washington and New York? We have an office in New York, um, but our focus has been Washington, D.C. for the last couple of years. Uh, for cybersecurity, it's a real hotspot because you've got people leaving government. Mm. But we're seeing a massive increase in the work coming through in Texas as well. We're seeing in Austin or anywhere in particular? Dallas, Dallas. Um, in particular, but Austin too. We're seeing companies, our clients in New York are asking us to go support them there. Mm. Oh, and that's due to cost of living, is it, and tax benefits? and For them, yeah, I think they're relocating their security teams, which mm. are essentially a back office function, um, to lower cost locations, and then keeping a few senior level people or uh, business facing yeah. security people in New York or yeah. their other main hubs. Yeah. We're really not giving you enough airtime here, Toby. <laughs> I, I know you're shy. I'm, pry I'm prowling, ready. <laughs> <laughs> Your first media event of today. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we going to get a word in now? <laughs> okay, <laughs> here, here we go. <laughs> so, when we met Rob over there, yeah. I said to him, you know, what would you do differently? And he said, I would have went out earlier. Yeah, yeah it's... Um, it's, you know, it's it's very easy to say that, isn't it? And we looked at it, and it, the the scale of it, and just when you look at the 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 sheer size of America, mm. um, we were saying beforehand, weren't we, that, that each state is effectively a country, um, and the you know those those stats we said just now just prove exactly the scale of opportunity that we've got out there. So, look. Yeah, would we have started earlier? Absolutely. But I think that with all of these things, you've got to have the right people. And so many mm. companies are going out there with the wrong people, people who just want to go out there and, and because they're in an arms race to get out to, to America. Mm. And it doesn't matter what business you're doing or where you're doing it or how good the market is. If you've got the wrong people in that sp space, you're never going to grow a business. Yeah. So I think you've got to be careful about it. Uh, and there is a, a little caveat to it. Uh, and we wouldn't, you know, if we'd gone out earlier, we wouldn't have the right people to do that sort of thing. And it had to be the right time for Rob. Uh, it had to be the right time for Sarah. It had to be mm. the right time for us to do it. And when we've gone out there. It's, um, yeah, just the scale of it is, is really exciting. What, what type of due diligence should a business do before they move out there? Um, well, look, there's, there's a lot of um, legalities and, and stuff like that. Fortunately, that's Rob's world rather than mine. Um, he's the detail guy on, on, on all, of, all of that sort of thing. And You're the face. Uh, yeah, yeah, clearly, very clearly. Um, and uh, but, but I go back to it. Look, people love to overcomplicate all areas of recruitment. I think, and 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 part of it is you can overthink a load of different mm. things. And and my view is, is if you've got the right people on board to do, you know, to do it, then then go for it. And mm. and you know all the legal stuff you can you can take care of. Um, but it is you know it's, it's you, you know the job. You can do it from here. As we you know we we're just hearing stats of you say so what half of your client base pretty much is doing yeah. it from here to there. Yeah, exactly. And of course there's logistics to that. We did it for eight months and it was it was hard work. You know Sarah mm. and Rob were staying in the office till God knows when at night and starting later and and sacrificed a lot of their their life for it, which I'm being massively grateful forever for. Um, 
but it makes it a difficult thing with time zones and you've got to make sure that you're able to do it and, and clearly in any job I think you can do it better on the ground than you can do remotely. Mm. How do you find running a remote team and working jobs from over here? Like, what does that is, that, is that a challenge? Do you, like, how does that work for you? I think it's a challenge if you want to scale and we really want to take advantage of that opportunity, mm. which is why we need more people on the ground there. You can do it from here, we have done for a number of years, but you don't get that face time and face time in recruitment is what makes your deals happen. It's mm. what makes you win clients, get those deeper relationships. So it's much harder to do from here, I think. You do a lot of social proofing though, don't you? you you've got your own your speaker for different events. Can you walk us through some of that that you're able to build your credibility over there from here? Yeah, there's lots of things I think anyone can do. Um, I'm fortunate enough to write for Forbes, which gives us a real like credibility <laughs> level. <laughs> um, but you know, you can make your, your presence really well known with tools like LinkedIn now mm. and things like this, where you can really showcase who you are. Mm. And we do a lot of um, Skype calls and Skype meetings now. We produce uh, quite a lot of research around salaries, so we'll do that with a screen sharing and talk people through it to try and mitigate some of that, that FaceTime. Mm. I think it's quite interesting, you know, you sort of mentioned the FaceTime element because the business obviously that we own and operate at the moment is kind of a fully remote business. I mean, we have a remote team, we specialize in international recruitment, you know, we don't necessarily get to meet a lot London of our candidates. As well. London as well, <laughs> as well. Manchester as well. Um, <laughs> but you know, we haven't had kind of the luxury to date to be able to meet a lot of those clients, necessarily meet the candidates. and. It's funny, for a while, I think my mentality got into a remote recruitment is 100% possible, and of course it works, and it does all of this. But then, I think exactly as you mentioned, in regards to scaling and building that out, without that FaceTime, it is a challenge. And I think this process that we're now going through, Dilda, you know, very grateful to have started with the podcast, but now we're taking it on the road, and we're actually like going to New York, meeting people and stuff. I think I myself i underestimated how important that facetime was i think i fell into this habit of remote recruitment's fine you don't need to meet people it's okay we now have the technology to do it but i think having jumped back into that and going and meeting people again i'm like wow i forgot how important that element i think yeah, is and yeah. how it really does build those relationships and it makes those relationships stronger and there's more of a I don't know, a commitment and a trust and yeah. all of those aspects yeah. to it, I think. Creating content with people is even yeah. the next stage on that because I suppose there has to be a bit of bit of trust that mm. you're not going to put something out well. there that makes somebody look <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> you know? You're in it together for the right reasons yeah. and, and everything like that. But I, I, that was a revelation for me this year, I think, is getting back to that FaceTime and recognising the importance I mean, I, I, I can talk from that because we're a US business. Mm. We don't provide any services in the UK, but we have a team of 12 here. And that's because all of our clients start here yeah. and then they go to the US. So, yeah. you know, there are people that do what we do out in the US, but no one is here meeting and speaking to our clients like we do. So people build a personal relationship mm. over with us yeah. for a year or two years before they even start going to the US or going to do contractors. Yeah. And naturally they're going to, to use us. We've got a great service, don't get me wrong, but they know us and they trust us over that kind of period of time. I think that's an interesting aspect as well, isn't it? Because it's what you're talking about there is companies who are here and then building that trust to go out there. So it's those, and so many of our clients are based in London and in New York and in San Francisco and such like. So the ability to do the same sort of thing yeah. to help US companies come over here and vice versa is another bonus. Exactly. Because yeah. you, you, you're, 
you're there and you've got almost another revenue stream that comes out of that particular bit of fortune. Really. Totally, yeah. yeah. It's those those additional sales I think you get from that conversation you have, you don't just take a job brief, you then have a a chat and you talk about introductions and referrals and what else you can do, it's that additional business I think Mm. you get. Yeah, more of that networking side of things, isn't it? So it's through those casual conversations, identifying sort of further opportunities, definitely. Charlotte, was there anything that surprised you about our trip to New York? in any of the companies that we met from your perception beforehand? Uh, Yeah, massively, massively. I mean, I think just obviously seeing the increase in volume of the recruitment companies, but also as well, I suppose, really seeing the differences. I think to an extent as well as a rec rec, you probably fall into a terrible category of recruitment agencies are all the same, you're all looking for the same thing, blah, blah, blah. That's a very naive view, but, you know, it happens. You fall into that, you're recruiting a similar job. And I think actually going and visually seeing like, wow, okay, this is this type of person and this is the setup they they have and this is theirs and yeah. they're, you know, like fade in a 320-person machine and it's just, you know, and they're all so different and the people are all different and the visions of the business are all yeah. different. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, without having seen that and spent the time with people like Rob and stuff like that, you know, it's whilst you can get a sense of it, you know, through emails, through talking mm. and all of that, sometimes seeing's believing, you yeah. know, and I think actually having that for me was I walked away from New York going, Wow, for someone, America's an exciting opportunity, mm. but more importantly, like you have a range of them. They're so different, mm. like and yeah. people are gonna be different and suitable for different things because of it. I think I think that's absolutely so. So you, you see it a lot in America. I think there are so many different culturally different businesses within it. Probably I think probably even more so than here. So um, my view, my surprise with it was um, the American market and how fragmented it was, and how how people will do literally anything in in the majority of U.S. based businesses. So they're, they're recruiters without a niche or a specialism and obviously the UK market I think for a number of years has been going very heavily specialism Mm -hmm. and niche orientated so when you're out there and people are doing something it's almost like they're doing a different job so when you bring people into it from a US business culturally it's a big change for them it's almost it's almost doing a different job for them when they're when they're doing that so and and you guys said that you did a great job for us earlier this year with James who came over to us and I think that bit there of understanding a business and putting the right person into that Mm -hmm. for the right reasons um, is exactly what you're talking about in terms of knowing a business and understanding a business and putting the people who are right for that company into it, which is a big part of the job, right? Yeah, yeah it is. Sure. It, it brings me to whenever you started with it, when you were with NES, and you're under a mandate to find Americans. And really, yeah. the lads just wanted people like them. Yeah, that that was a challenge. I think definitely it was a new internal recruitment function. They had decided to invest in that. And they did it with all sincerity. They had all the right intentions of they wanted to build a local sort of workforce. But again, coming back to this cultural setup of how their business ran, you know, they were 360, everyone owns their own desk, they own their clients, they own their candidates, they run the whole machine. And Traditionally, for Americans, that's not the way they operate it. I mean, there are some 360 shops, but a lot of it's 180-180. I'm a recruiter. I don't do any sales. I'm a sales guy. I would have no interest in recruitment. And it's just very different. Mm. So I think that reality was challenging to how do you get people who are used to that setup 
that is for right or wrong very different mm. and how do you try and bring them in and integrate it and make that happen mm. and that was a big struggle and definitely struggled against it it but remains a struggle now doesn't yeah, it yeah we yeah. have more joy if anything i think going down the routes of either grads yeah. you know that you could really just train in the way that you wanted to or taking off more often than not actually trying to take sort of sales people yeah. not in recruitment yeah, yeah. and then kind of bringing them in and teaching them recruitment because we just found it to try and reverse some of that cultural aspect was really difficult and you know also it wasn't always right for the person because whilst they're like yeah yeah i want to give 360 a go yeah. it's a hard yeah. like doing a 360 desk is tough yeah. you know and it's not for everyone and i think it was always having that in mind as well like is okay we might be able to get a bum on a seat or whatever but is it the right bum on the right seat and is it right for us and is it right for them and that was always a really challenge that 360 180 is is a tough thing for the Americas anyway, I think for UK businesses. How did you find it, Carla, in New York? We've, um, we've been quite lucky in that we've found some British people who are already in New York, so I think when you're moving people over, you do run that risk that actually they've got to embed in the country, um, mm -hmm. they want to go explore, mm -hmm. whereas when you've got people who are local, actually, they're there just to work and they're ready to go, mm -hmm. so I think you have like some challenges the other way too. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Sorry, do, do your guys work in the US, do they do 360 or 180, 180? I have people doing all sorts, so, oh, really? so yeah, some <laughs> so 180, some 360. Oh, okay, yeah. is that depending on the market? That works? Depending on the person. Oh, really? Yeah, and then what we need and how that fits with the team at the time. Because that was interesting, yeah. I know Stuart Cherry brought that up in OJA when we did the video interview over there with him that a lot of companies, and we're definitely getting that feedback, kind of go over with that, we're going to be 360 and that's what we're going to do and that's the way that we get it. And then they, they're there like 18 months and mm -hmm. they quickly realise like, oh, this might not <laughs> yeah, work. And at the same point, they're not abandoning it and going, we're going to do 180 and that's it. But people are now starting to have to be a little bit more inventive of, okay, we haven't had 180 before, but could that work? Like if we find the right people, could we have like 360 people? Could we have a bit of a 180, 180 split in a certain area? And I think it's, you know, not being afraid to think outside of the box of how to adapt your business yeah. to be successful in the States. Like, I think that's... We're very much at the top of the market there yeah. in terms of employment. And that. so what, what I've been told is the sales side of it isn't as important as it was from bringing on clients. So to have somebody who can run the whole process and do the sourcing side is really important. Are you guys finding that you're more job heavy or you're more candidate heavy? We're quite job heavy, but we're scaling. So that sales element is still really important yeah, yeah. to us. But what I found the difference between the UK and the US is the expectation is a little higher. Mm. People don't maybe have great expectations always of recruiters in the UK. So if you don't deliver, you probably get a second <laughs> chance. You don't get a second shot really? in the US. Yeah, yeah. You, you, have to, you have to deliver what you say you can first time around, I think. It's a funny market, isn't it? Because it, it's, um, you go over to America and, you, and you've got you know, visions of America full stop, haven't you, about, uh, you know, the superpower and all this sort mm. of thing. And, and yet, you know, a lot of it is uh, far further back than you'd imagine it to be. And I'm talking about the airports, the infrastructure, the payments um, and, and recruitment. You know, I'm always, whenever I speak to, to people about it, you know, I, I talk about how disruptable I think a US uh, recruitment model is. And, you know, people are always thinking, oh, they must be really good at it. You know, American salespeople, you've seen yeah. it in the movies, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, but actually, because I think of some of the, the way that they're set up, it, it is it's very beatable. And I, and I th personally think, right, sometimes you've got to stick to your guns about what you, know, what you should do and what's worked for you. Um, and I think the companies that have scaled the quickest in the States generally haven't changed their model to suit, to suit that thing. They've gone in there and they've stayed tight to what they want to do and they've done recruitment basics really, really well. Yeah. And they've found good ways to train people to do what they want them to, you know, want them to do. And I think sometimes you can go into a market and try and copycat it. Mm. And there's a reason why it's beatable in the marketplace at the moment, anyway, um, from doing, you know, what you've done. So, so I think actually yeah, we've always wanted to have a Starbucks-style cookie-cutter way to expand mm. the business in different geographies. And yes, you've got various little cultural differences that you've got to be aware of. But I think you've got to be true to who you are and trust your plan and deliver that plan well, and if you do it, it's there. Now, going back to that original question, is it a job-heavy market, is it a candidate-heavy market? I think, um, you know, if you go in in that standard sort of thing, that there's, there's hundreds of companies, and you, know, you only have to get, walk around Manhattan, don't you, and you see how many businesses yeah, or buildings there are, and all of them are full of people, right? So there's, there's always going to be jobs out there, um, but, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, you still have to be good to mm. get those people to start you still have to be proactive to do it it's not just going to come to you it's not i don't believe it is completely streets paved with gold uh, i think you've got to be good to to be good you know if you're good you're great yeah. if you're poor you're still poor yeah. yeah when we look at the the two big exits of uk companies the frank group yeah and faden yeah They've really done what you just said. They yeah. stayed stay true to the yeah, model. absolutely. You look at it, and, and, and they've done. But they did go down the grad route as well. I think a lot of them route. went. Okay, well, this we want to stay true, but to try and take people from that recruitment background that's very different from ours. Yeah maybe for the right person but instead you know what what we're going to do yeah. is just develop a really awesome training package yeah. and we're going to bring people in where they're like a lower yeah. experience level yeah. and we're just going to train them our way and i think there's great success in they're that. agnostic mm -hmm. towards their location as well so they'll, they'll be a, they'll have a centered location and they'll be doing jobs all around yeah. the country mm -hmm. i think that's interesting that you don't really need to meet people face. They're saying you don't yeah. really need to meet people face to face to do deals. Yeah, but but they tend to move around a lot, don't they? So, so, yeah. so when so when you look at it, they will um, uh, they they'll go on the road trips and they'll go to Boston from mm. New York and they'll go to Chicago from New York and they'll they'll take internal flights, which are peanuts mm. effectively, and, and do that client meeting side of things, and then come back to it. Look, I go back to. When I started in, in recruitment, 2000, it was actively encouraged not to go out and meet people. So, so, really? so, so yeah, it was like, that, why would you go out? It'd be wasting your time. You could be <laughs> here, you know, banging, banging on the phone, and uh, you know, nostalgic days. But, <laughs> but potentially, it wasn't. You know, the, the, the world's moved on a little bit, and I think probably back there, uh, I do think recruitment's a couple of years behind where you know where mm. where it is, and that gives you, you know, if if you can take. You know, contemporary tools and and, and hit it hard. You yeah, you can really run a long way. Uh, in the market out there. I think just to touch on Kyla's point, you know, interesting, you mentioned, you know, in the UK, like the expectations of recruiters and, you know, you don't quite get it right the first time, they're probably going to give you another go and in America not. I think that lends to, and I, I know Rob spoke about this, I think, uh, when we were there. I think in America, they have much higher expectations of recruiters because they do actually see it as a consultant position. Mm. They are hiring you, they're engaging mm. with you 
for your advice, your recommendations, for you to actually go and find someone. And it's seen in a really positive light. And it really, and I suppose like it should be seen, that you are an expert in your field and you are there to provide a consultancy service. Yeah, yeah. So I think because of that, it does mean you don't get it right and, you know, you're kind of not going to be given a shot or whatever, or they're certainly going to not be happy with it. But on the flip side, I think for doing business and sales, it's a lot of a warmer reception, yeah. you know, yeah. because they are already looking at you like, oh, great, you're a recruitment expert. And yeah, if I'm hiring, I'm going to listen to you mm. because you're an expert in your field. Whereas I think in the UK, they, they oh, don't it's my, my dream. I mean, this is my yeah. soapbox for, for ages about this. It is, you know, it is a profession. Yeah. Um, it is, you know, you speak to any CEO of any business, I think, in the country, and if they're saying uh, what their top priority is, it's got to be people, and if, and if they're saying something else, they're lying, as far as, as far as I'm concerned. Yet, you look at the professional services listings when you look at listed companies and the mm. FTSE and such like, and recruitment's in there alongside lawyers and accountants and management consultants and such like, but it never gets any of the, the credibility. In the States, it gets that credibility. It's seen as a credible career. Mm. It's seen as, uh, you know, someone there who is there to, to build teams, you know, networks, businesses, um, and that's that, that's something I love about that country and, and I love about the profession out there and, and something which I'm really passionate about growing over here as well, mm. making sure people really see themselves as professional when they're doing the job and, and clients see you as professional when, you, you know, when they're having the service from you as well. You've developed your model around that, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think it's so important. It's something I'm massively, massively passionate about because I do think it's a great industry and I'm, and I'm bored of it being bashed as much as it does and I think sometimes we're the victims of that yeah. by having a sort of inferiority complex about what we do which we shouldn't do. Do you think, put this out to everybody, do you think there's anything else we can do to change that in terms of the way that we operate our businesses? Toby's right, sometimes we perpetuate that ourselves, yeah. that's how we feel, our consultants feel, that's how they approach our clients, you know, oh, I know you probably don't want to use a recruiter, you, you, right. like, yeah. you know, yeah. well why would you go in yeah. like that? Yeah, we do perpetuate mm. that. I think that's even reflected with, you know, moving on sort of a little bit, but into regards to fees, I think that's reflected in the fees that you can get in the States yeah. versus the fees yeah. in the UK. I mean, here we're kind of like, oh, you know, Joe Blogs down the road, give you 15%. Well, I'll do it for 12 and a half, mm -hmm. you know, and you shouldn't undercut your fee because at the end of the day, if you believe in the service that you're providing and it's valid service, you should be going in at 20%, 25% if you believe genuinely it's value add to that business. Yeah. And I think, again, you look at the fees in the States, we're they're charging the 20, yeah. 25 <laughs> 30, 35 percent, oh, yeah. you know, the fees are just enormous, but people are true to that because they know it's a worthwhile and valuable, you know, fee for their time, for their expertise that they're providing, Yeah, you know. And it gives you the opportunity to be introduced through your clients. We're really seeing that because they value who we are, what we do, they're introducing us to other companies so we work a lot with consulting firms they're introducing us to the end client hmm. like that's the, the that's recruitment the dream. dream right <laughs> yeah. um, and we've made a lot of money out of that this year it's because they value what we do but you look about that look at that in in professional services over here that's how you know you don't have sales teams in solicitors you don't have sales teams in in management consultancies you don't have sales teams in accountants um, by and large, mm. um, and that's because the service does the job for them, and, and th that that's utopia, isn't it? You know, when you do a really good job, and, and word spreads, and people come to you, and we start. I think there's been been a bit of a sea change in that. I think 2008 onwards has, has sort of improved the industry, cleansed the industry a little bit, and I think you've had to be better, uh, which I love. Um, 
and, I, and I, but I just think it's people can do a better job of really sort of taking some pride in what they're doing and delivering a better service. And and you know I talk about faster, better, stronger as the future of uh, of recruitment, faster technology, uh, rather than technology doing the job itself, but allowing you to find things stronger relationships and better recruiters. Um, and if you put those things together, I I think that will be the future of UK recruitment, and I certainly think that spreads across to America as well. The media piece interests me a lot. Describe what your day is today. <laughs> so so it's been uh, it's been a pretty brandy day today on all of that. So we were doing some video, some uh, some shoot in the office this morning. Uh, we've come over here and doing the podcast today. Going back to the office, do another video thing late, later on uh, this afternoon, and then doing another uh, testimonial on video today. So so it's uh, yeah, it's, I mean it's growing all the time, isn't it? And you've got to be careful with it. Look. Um, I've fallen into. I love it. I, you know, I love what we've done with with uh, video. I love what we do with with um, events and, and media and magazines and all this sort of stuff. Um, but you've got to be disciplined around it. And you know, today's today's a sort of hyper hyper case case of it. It's not like that all the time. Um, but I think it's so important just to add value to mm. to our industry. I think it's important to add value to our customers, and we do a lot to help showcase what they're about and what they're talking about and their brands. And if we can help our customers grow their networks by introducing them to other people, to grow their networks by bringing them to events and putting other people, good people together, and then to help grow their brands by putting them out there on video and talking to them about their stories, mm. it's valuable content, right? You know, it's valuable content to help people be better and if we can sit there and say you know, our strap line is your success our business so if we're helping people to be more successful by doing all this sort of stuff and adding value to them I think that, that adds to the credibility of, of who we are as a business and people want to be sticky with you as, as, a, as a business How do you make sure that your consultant's personal brand is aligned with your business brand um, in the day of here I'm here. There's a selfie of me. Here's yeah. a video of me. Here's so so so. Look, I'm not going to sit there and tell them what their personal brand should be because that defies the logic of a personal brand. So, <laughs> so 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 it's um, but I think it's it's giving people the opportunity to be themselves. So so that we we hire people based off a pretty clear criteria that I know you you know about person, professional, and recruiter, and it starts with getting the right person on board first. So we trust people then to go out there and and be themselves because people will be buying them. You buy the professional you're working with, not necessarily the business sometimes. Um, so, you know, I, th I think the minute you start becoming um, too um, communist about, about how they want to be, you might be in a you might be in a slightly different, you know, difficult situation. So just be, you know, I trust people to be themselves, and to, uh, they know what the brand's about, they know what our, our ethos and our values are, and, and generally they're they're pretty good. Give with them that inside it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm quite interested to hear because, you know, Jeremy, you mentioned mm -hmm. before around some, you're obviously in the contractor space. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, to date, the majority of clients that we've kind of worked with stateside have been more perm heavy mm -hmm. versus contract heavy, which again for the UK, it's not that it's necessarily different, but in the UK it is around like, let's push the temp book, let's push yeah. the contractor book. Certainly if you're a business that wants to scale or grow, it's always about the temp mm -hmm. side. So again, you know, Carla, Toby, it'd be interesting to hear sort of perm versus temp in the US you, you know. need a minimum of 30% and ideally 50 if you want to scale traditionally like sell your yeah business, exactly right? yeah. so you know you're obviously seeing huge growth on the contractor side in the US true but it takes it takes time yeah. I mean I don't I don't know your contract books or perm you know perm versus Amer contract American split. book is zero at the moment. Yeah, yeah exactly right <laughs> so so that there's there's perm business which I think is the easier thing to go after straight away yeah. um, it's not as you know your US business is new, you don't have as much cash in it, mm. it's difficult to run contractors, payment terms are usually longer in the US. 
in the standard like 30 to 45. Um, so it's easy to get some kind of cash in the bank doing perm. The other thing that I was saying to you earlier mm. is that in the US, um, by default, everyone is employment at will, which basically means there's no notice period. So there's no requirement to give anyone notice, which means if you take on a perm person with no notice, they're basically a contractor because okay. you can terminate them at any point. So right. it's very easy to do perm business. And I, mean, I don't know exactly you know, the notice periods that are being offered to the perm placements that you guys are doing. I'd be interested to know. Mm. But that is, especially in places like California, people are put on at will. So then they could be a perm person for six months and then be terminated. Wow. And so they're essentially a six-month contractor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets, it gets, it's, it's getting slightly trickier out there, I think. Um, and, and I know over in, in California, it's, a, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? No, no non-compete rules yeah. and all this yeah, sort of exactly. stuff. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, compared to what we're used to, uh, you know, you're talking a couple of weeks in America, and it does move everything a lot quicker, which is why it's a good permanent market. Yeah. Right? You've got higher fees, higher yeah. salaries, uh, you know, uh, bigger quantities of jobs, and lots, you know, uh, shorter notice fee, you know, notice periods. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I want to scale. You know, I want to scale our contract book out there. I've seen companies do some amazing things with their contractor books out there. So it, you know, it's 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 without question the market. We wanted to get a strong con a perm basis as we did when we first started up over here, and then really concentrate on building out the, the contract book. But it's interesting when you talk there about multipliers and you know the ideal 50-50 or 60-40 you know per, uh, contract to perm split. The companies you've mentioned there, with the uh, you know the the biggest uh, sales recently or, or events recently, mm. Faden and, and uh, Frank Group, both of them have been very predominantly perm businesses, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's been a bit of a sea change based off not just now contractor but being the thing that drives the multiplier, but uh, scalability, you know, mm. growth, profitability, um, you know, geography and mm. niche. And if you've got the right niche and if you've got the right sort of scalability and an, an international footprint. You can. You don't have to be a pure contract business at the moment to get the same sort of multipliers that some brokers are kind of telling you that. Or yeah, not? yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and, I sell my business that, yeah. with next to no contract book. Yeah. Hmm. And Carla, do you think for you guys, sort of looking longer term, you know, is it sort of again going down a similar route, establishing that good sort of perm base foundation, and then do you think you'd look at contract or mainly staying in that perm space? I think we'll dominate in perm rather than contract but we have a couple of contracts already we have some clients that will only work with us on the contract uh, side and we've got a really punchy 50 million in five years target i don't think we can do that without contract <laughs> so we're gonna have to do it yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where like uh, you know your company is yeah. really helpful because it does outsource that risk for us yeah we, i mean for you to kind of take on the knowledge and expertise that we've gained over 19 years it would be very difficult because you'd basically be taking your focus away from perm. Whereas people, you know, yeah. someone starting out can do a couple of contractors here and there with us. They don't have to kind of refocus everything and invest into building out the infrastructure for contractors. Mm. And then we can just do that basically and you're tapping into our expertise. Mm. Yeah, it's where the million. law is different in so many states as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like California is notoriously difficult. You, all, all the complexities in employment law are in mm. California. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of course. So is that 50 million going to be multiple offices in in the US is is it going to be just in cyber what what's the what's the kind of road plan on that Yeah, 50 million just in cyber um, three offices okay. uh, New York, DC and then 
west coast <laughs> when I finally decide I need a tan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's also the Californian dream, isn't it? Yeah. We, it's funny when we speak to candidates, I think especially now having been in New York as well, like I love New York when we went, but it is full on. Yeah. I mean, I think like it's so busy mm. and you've got to have that energy and you've got to be looking for yeah. that as well. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was a really good takeaway from our course, trip yeah. was I think before I was kind of like, why wouldn't someone want to move to New York? Of course they'd want to move to New York. Yeah. But now having seen it and felt that energy and that buzz, it's now made me really sort of, I suppose, reevaluate like whenever we talk to people or we're looking at candidates, like, is that actually what they want though? Yes, they want yeah. to go to America. Yes, they want to go to a cool city. Yeah. But would LA be better? Like, would yeah, a cool city yeah, where yeah. it's a little bit more relaxed be suitable? You know, because I think if you're going to New York, you're, you're going and you're going and you're giving it all. You know, and for some people that work great and for others that won't. But I think even having that consideration of the different cities and, you know, Austin, totally. Texas is hiring loads more. That's a whole other little cultural scene that'll be suitable for other yeah. people, you know. Yeah. So I think sort some of great benefits outside down there of as the well, companies, right? yeah. it, it's looking at, yeah, what's going to be a better location for them personally and, and those it, sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, if you have kids, you know, I think you're, yeah. you're looking at a regional city that you can live outside. Well, San Diego, I mean, we've placed a lot of people oh, in San Diego, California, which is, you know, perfect for families and things yeah. like that. So it's taking in all those yeah. other factors. Jeremy, what, what's the growth of Texas like at the moment? Are more and more people focusing yeah, on that? Yeah, more and more people. I mean, uh, more and more people are, well, loads of people are there already. More yeah. and more people are talking about it. We haven't seen lots yeah. of people actually go and set up, but it's definitely on the cards for a lot of people. And it's mainly Austin, Austin, well, Texas. When yeah. we speak to the ideal candidate that everybody wants, the three to four years degree. Yeah. Single. Yeah. Under 30. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Carefree. Yeah. Carefree. Yeah. You know, at a bike farm. <laughs> if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the finance ones want to go to New York. The tech ones want to go to LA. Or usually when they get a choice. And then I'm hoping that the slightly older ones, our age, they then choose to go to the Austins whenever that gets up and going because it's more affordable for families yeah I, I don't know I've seen I've been there three times over the past like two years and I personally love it mm. I think it's yeah. so nice um, very livable it is I guess more family oriented but a lot of young people are there and they love it it's really really cool it's, it's very different to the rest of Texas yeah yeah there's little like electric scooters everywhere it's a wicked city you, you recruited in Houston for a little bit yeah so I did Houston mainly and they had uh, New Orleans at the time as well small office New Orleans and then they had Orlando and that yeah. was you know Orlando was obviously and you know nice sell for people as well that were maybe a little bit more sort of looking for a family sort mm -hmm. of orientated place um, but it's interesting because when we talk about Texas I know when I went to visit Houston and everyone's different it, it just wasn't for me I kind no. of found it a bit soulless yeah. but when we were speaking to Lewis Lyons at Opus he did Austin, Austin for three yeah. years and he was like yeah. wow it was so yeah. cool yeah. he did reflect back though and said that as he was leaving Houston they went through a big Super Bowl and he was just like and it actually got a really cool location oh, really? Kind of as he was going <laughs> but he had wonderful things to say yeah. about Austin thought it was really you know, really good yeah, location. It's, it's really cool. He actually was like, he said they were a bit torn when they made the decision to move to New York because they loved it so much. <laughs> so. There's so many good places. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I was with the uh, CEO of, of uh, a major, you know, uh, listed recruitment business recently, and uh, you know, he was talking about how you would, um, you know, to, to look at again, look at secondary locations, and uh, you know, we, we, there's obviously the big hubs, and and you know, we're very much in the in those. But you, you, there's so many different states that you just mm. don't think about, and and 
and again, just the, you know, the scalability of those. So I'm, so I'm so excited about how much scale there is, there is to it and the ability to have you know, a, a multi-state business out there. Um, is is just you know, you've gone for the two most expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. <Sounds Yes>. like. <laughs> well, I suppose you can only work backwards in the finances. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Every, everything's cheaper now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to pay the most taxes. I'm going to pay the most of my money. But that's where the biggest fees. That's are. Where, look, that's where the clients are. You move to the yeah. clients. That's sort of and more importantly, actually, I think that's where. Uh, the people are that we want that we wanted to, to, to so you know I've always said this is a people-led business and, mm. we, and we are entrepreneurial based around people who we find and where people want to go go with that uh, as long as it's not sort of Dawlish in Devon or somewhere like that it makes it makes the uh, you make uh, decisions based off, off your people and uh, you know if we're going to see someone who is uh, passionate about Colorado, then I think you look at Colorado as a, you know, as, as a state. Yes. Chicago, Boston. I was talking to someone the other day about it, and you know they they were they're, they're quite keen to be in Chicago at some stage. Mm. It's a great market. You know, there's, there's a lot of scale in it. I think you made quite an interesting point though, Toby. Earlier, I know when we were discussing as well, and I, I know today we're kind of talking about America and it, and all of that. But I think with this kind of drive to go to America as well, I think some people are kind of also missing the fact that then there is great opportunities equally at yeah. home like certainly here yeah. in London and stuff yeah. so you know I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that yes yeah, so, so, so I've, I've thought about this a lot because you know I, I was with uh, you know S3 for the first eight and a half years of my career and when it came to the next sort of phase for it the opportunities were abroad you know, the, re the real exciting things for me to do would have been to go abroad now as I think I said before, I've lived in the same village in Surrey my entire life, and and will be wheeled out of there ultimately <laughs> um, for somewhere down the line. But the 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 thing for me is 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 I, I missed an opp opportunity to see you know, to to grow in that business because it stopped creating multiple businesses. And I think there's you, you've got to be careful not to lose all your best talent internationally because you yeah. can damage your, your your domestic business. You can lose good talent from that domestic business. And yes, it's a great and massively attractive thing to be talking about and a cool thing for people to be going. Mm. But I think you've also got to recognise that there is this is a wonderful market, the UK. There is uh, it is the home of recruitment, as far as I'm concerned, the centre of the recruitment world. It's where the best recruitment in history has been done. Uh, and I think it's you know whilst it's 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 um, busy as we talked about with some of the, the recruitment companies in here, to be the best in it you can be the best in it if you if you're uh, if you work really hard at, at doing that. And there is so much scale and so many different markets and so much so much things you can do here as well. I want to make sure we're always looking at opportunities to invest in people domestically, as well as give them great opportunities to say right I want you know I want to see the states or or Europe or or Asia and beyond. I think it's an important uh, you know, thing for us to do and, and it's certainly something that's going to be in my head as we continue to grow is, is where are my opportunities for people domestically mm -hmm. and how do I invest in them rather than just say, right, okay, this is all about diverting our attention elsewhere. Yeah. There's some upside to being in a more established market too, right? Yeah. We sometimes have to introduce what recruitment is to businesses in the <laughs> US. You don't have to do that here and when you sign them up, they know what they're signing up for. Yeah. Mm. And are you just going to be focused on the US or are you going to grow in other markets as well, like the domestic market? We're still growing the team here in the UK too. So like you, I think there's still a lot of potential in the UK and we certainly haven't hit ours, so we're still mm. growing here. Interesting point. You said that you left S3 whenever they start, stopped scaling offices. It's really important to catch a company on that upward curve isn't it yeah yeah so look, I, I joined it 450 odd people in um, in the 12th company in the group um, 
and I, you know, often you think back and say, what if I didn't do the two years in events? What if I didn't do the three mm. years at university and I got in five years earlier? And you could have been in, 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 a, great, in a great situation. Um, and I loved it. I had, a, I had the time of my life there. It was an amazing eight and a half years. I learned so much from some amazing people. Um, but that sort of stage, and I never thought I'd actually leave, leave there, but it, it just got to a stage where it was a different opportunity mm. than the opportunity when I first joined. And I love that idea of, I think it's absolutely the, the, you know, the right model, give people the opportunity to entrepreneurially grow and, and invest in new businesses and startups within a group of companies. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that model. Mm. That is a genius model, and it only doesn't happen when people uh, don't want to give anything away or, or get you know, too protective or don't want to invest in other, other people around it. So I, I want to live that model and I want to keep on making sure that we're giving people the opportunity domestically and meritocratically to come through and doing that. So people joining our business, you know, joining at a really interesting time rather than two and a half, three thousand people down the line to be involved in that and see it come way through and look, ultimately one day would I love to float like that business did. That would be a dream, you know, that would be, mm. that would be you know, that's the ultimate sort of, sort of thing. So, right, we are the best in the world at what we're doing. We floated, we're a FTSE 200 company. The pride you felt at that sort of stage by being involved and being a part of that was awesome. Um, and to recreate that mm. would be even more awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being at a large recruitment firm and seeing, like, the management team had been there already for five years and thinking, you're going to be here another 10 years. Yeah, yeah. They're, not, they're not opening offices anywhere. And I didn't have the knowledge I do now because of what we what we do. But if I was at that stage and I was two years in, I'd I'd be looking at who's opening offices, yeah. where. Yeah. And one of my friends, yeah. he uh, he he left. He was on a management track. And then he left to join uh, a, a startup. And now he's just uh, he's just done an MBO in half the company. Yeah. I remember yeah, having so. that conversation as well when he was considering the offer and I, I mean there was marginally more money on the base or whatever and I remember him saying to me oh but Charlotte you know at this company where I am now and I'm on this management track and they tell me I'll be a manager in 18 months or whatever and I was like but if you don't like the other one you know you could go and you could do it and it could go all go horribly wrong and you know what I'm sure you could come back here and they probably go you know what you've gained more experience jump back on and we'll see how you go and you'll be on that same management track in 18 months or you could go you could put all your heart and soul into this growing business because you have the energy and the drive and the motivation to do it and it could take you you know who knows where and you know before you know it it was like he was director of that region and then as you say now he's already like a half shareholder in this new company with the guy and you know so I think sometimes if you've got that drive you've got that motivation that entrepreneurial spirit and you know you want to sort of look to invest in a company that's going to invest in you I'm always a big believer and again with people moving abroad I use a similar analogy if you give it a go and it all goes wrong just go back to what you know but at least you tried and and you've experienced it and the worst case scenario you go hey that wasn't for me you know but if you never did you'll always question it you know it it is that sort of thing to really give it a go isn't it I mean those are the things people shouldn't do it I I don't think as a sort of uh, you know gap year uh, which you see people you know see people taking these opportunities out sometimes in those in those businesses to go it you go full into it yeah. and and you maximize the opportunity so you're talking about fading earlier on right and and uh that if you met harry you turn from but but um, no. but i've heard you know I, I haven't either but i've heard great stories about him being someone who went there very early on built that business mm. up scaled with it and then moved into the ceo of the business after the the second event right or the first event i think it was yeah. and so people everyone's got that opportunity yeah. you know when they're going over and they're taking that thing they're not just going in there to do a job and I hate the idea of people just going in mm. to do a job and just to do stuff and, and, and go through there. If you're going in for something, you should go into it with 
all your heart, smash it up. And you know, if you're there and you're landing in, in a business that's 10 people, 20 people mm. strong or whatever, then take you know make the most of that opportunity, climb the ladder, you know be be meritocratic, and then then drive something in a in a in a big way. And I think sometimes people just uh, um, just you know d- go through the motions, mm. uh, which is a massive waste for when you're doing that. When you're taking that sort of a move, go for it. With you know, my, my advice is definitely just go with it with everything you got and out- outwork the competition. And if you do that, you're in a great spot because yeah. it can move so fast. It really can. I think what's been quite interesting as well is coming back to sort of that London market is we've actually had a number of candidates that we've placed recently in London that were local in the market but have also kind of come back and we've had colleagues we worked in Australia that have come back to London and kind of the feedback that we're getting is like oh the London market's like really good at the moment it's really hot and this and that and I think people kind of forgot a little bit about it you you know so I think again as you say it's all this shiny thing of oh great opportunities abroad let's move here and this this and this and that and then I think people kind of forgot that it is an established market here but that doesn't mean that it's bad market or you know there's loads of potential and loads of opportunity and it's it's hard for people who are new to the industry to pick a winner of a business Mm -hmm. because there's so many and a lot of the same messages are coming so who do you trust how do you how do you figure out who's reputable who's got a plan and young people don't go on to company house and look at (laughs) look at profits and and go on like some of them go on to Glassdoor but it's very hard for them so I think it's tough picking a winner when, when you look at the recruiters that excite you when, whenever you interview them, is there anything that, uh, that you look for? Their values, like I agree with you, it's all about the people. So like my biggest thing is honesty. You can make mistakes, but if you lie to me, just don't show up the next day. So it's, you're dead to me. You're dead to me, yeah. <laughs> so it's really about the, their values. And then it's that um, not gut feel in an interview, but do can I work with you? Do I want to invest in you? And I, I hope that they're choosing me because they believe I'm going to do that for them. Mm. What do you reckon? I mean, so like as an internal recruiter which is more my background I've interviewed hundreds thousands of people and I always find at the end of an interview one of kind of my biggest bugbears is you know often you ask people like what's your motivations for applying for the role or this sort of thing and they always sort of say oh well I'm looking for this or I'm looking for that or I'm looking this for this and they never at any stage kind of say what they're offering and I think that always for me like kind of lets a candidate down so when I look at a candidate I look for values and all those other things as well I'm looking for someone that as we kind of referenced a little bit before there is making that commitment to come so it's like yes I'm looking for this but because I'm going to bring this and this is where I'm going to take it and these are all of the things that I think I could offer you and, and they're already looking at it as a partnership mm. not just as in I want someone to do this for yeah. me I'm going to do this to get that you know yeah. so I think plays in a little bit to the values as well but I think it's yeah looking at that that's one thing that's and it's the stuff beyond the obvious things isn't it because because I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone who hasn't said they're they're not money motivated I mean that's the most common tick in a box isn't it so money motivated I'm a really hard worker yeah um and the the actual combination of those two is so rare it's like the the hidden hidden (laughs) gem so people who who say that you know that they're um, hard working, which you've got to be. Look, when you first get, you're talking entry level here. You know, when you get into recruitment, there's no way of doing it well other than really high activity, get, yeah. just smashing it out there. Yeah, high activity, putting the hours in, doing that sort of thing. And you hear people are saying, yeah, there was. A, I remember years ago there was a girl who came to us and she she said she was talking about this mood board she had in her house, and uh, on the mood board she had the car she wanted, she had the house she wanted, she'd written a check to herself uh, for a million dollars for a, <laughs> with a date that she wanted to to uh, to to cash that on. Um, 
and uh, and honestly, I've never seen anyone from interview to action be two more different people. Yeah. Uh, and of course, yeah, there's loads of people who say they want to have this, that, and the other. Uh, but the amount of people who are ready to really sacrifice, which is an important word, it's like a dirty word, but I think it's one of the most important uh, parts of recruitment and business, full stop, is to actually sacrifice and put yourself in there to be good at something, to, to make enough mistakes. People play it so straight um, that they don't give themselves the opportunity to be bad, to be good yeah. um, at some stages. And sometimes that's the company, they, they won't let people make mistakes and they put fear into that. And uh, But more often than not, it's people there just trying to trying to be... You know, ultimate, you know, score the perfect goal as always, mm. and you know, put the analogy, analogy <laughs> into, into into action on it. So I want I want people in there who who are going to give me a little bit more than that to tell me that what they're actually doing it for is is um, something a little bit more than than I just want to make loads of money, which is you know which is great, but really do you? Um, and then and I'm um, how working really how you know what have you done and what have you done to prove that mm. sort of stuff? And I think it's a it's a really rare commodity about how many people are really ready to put in what they want to do in it. And as your life evolves, your circumstances change, and both mums. And you talk about sacrifice to run a business. You're both business owners. How do you like? I don't know how you do it. But <laughs> 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 how, how do you find that? I'll put it to both of you. But how how do you find doing that? Like how does that work? Yeah, I mean it, it is the juggle. I think it's a you know common problem for you know female sort of whether they're business owners or workers or whatever that are mums as well. It, it is kind of juggling that time, and I think sacrifice is a big word. But I think sacrifice in all aspects. You know, you have to be willing to give a little bit in some places give a little bit in other places and and also I think you know myself and Carla spoke about this before you know also appreciate and accept sort of flexibility I think nowadays in recruitment you know before it was very much we're eight till six and eight till six and it's Monday to Friday and it's this and this and I think not just in recruitment but generally in working practices we're moving a little bit more into that sort of work-life integration you know which can have its positives and negatives, you know, uh, you know, for whatever reason. Especially if you're reasons. married to somebody who's like me. Yes, full on <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but at the same point, it, you know, as a mum, for me, that kind of works a little bit better because I can get up in the morning, I can have a quick check of the emails and then I can do the kids stuff, mm. then I can get them to nursery, I can work in that time, then I can take a couple of hours off, spend time with them and then I do, you know, an hour or two in the evening. So. I can flex it to make it work and I yeah. think that's becoming more and more acceptable in the industry as well that it doesn't have to be yeah. I'm at my desk at 8 I leave at yeah. 6 and if you're gone at 10 to 6 everyone's kind of watching and yeah. going what's happening because long gone are the days of if you're not at your desk you're not working yeah. you know yeah. I, I mean yeah. Kyla I don't know your thoughts but yeah exactly the same I have to leave the office normally about half 4 mm. and then I'm not stopping I'm doing the school run and all of that but then that works for me I can then work in the evening and I'll work 8 till 12 8 till 10 whatever it is that day and my motivation and has never been higher since having the kids you don't necessarily know how it's going to affect you and I love hiring mums because you are not there to mess around the time you're at your desk you are working full-on that is it so I think it um I think it's a real benefit I think it's Increased my productivity for yeah. sure. I mean, I, I like to think I'm a pretty sort of productive person, but I completely agree with that. It makes you value the time that you do have, and you don't just kind of swan around and have a chat or a coffee, yeah. or if you do, it's for a reason. Yeah. You're very much in that time, like, right, let's get on and get things done, you know? Charlotte's obviously very capable, but I had to, I had to really try and persuade her to come back into the business. 
Like, it's going to be different this time. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two administrators. Like, it, it, you're, you're not going to have to do all that. But I do need you to do all of this. <laughs> and and you, because it's different now, because we're doing more media and we're, we're doing a bit more face-to-face -face interaction, you decided, you, you made a call to come back in, thank God. Huh. Kind of, did you go straight back in after kids? Or do you have a, have a week gap? Or, like... Was your head in it the whole time? I'm laughing because I was sending emails while I was in labour. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was Brilliant. reading client see, terms see. the day after. <laughs> you were sending emails. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I don't. I don't regret it. Maybe I should. But no, I didn't really take any time out at all. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it Respect. is. I'm not sure that is something to be proud of, really. It's a, it's a time in your life maybe you should take a small step back. <laughs> and has, has the world of recruitment changed for hiring women and women staying in agency recruitment? Is there, like, it's, it's an interesting topic and I'm not really qualified to speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still struggling, to be honest. Like, we've gone through periods where we've had more women than men. At the moment, we have fewer women than men. Um, so I don't, I don't really know if it's changed. But what I think is that the females I have do better. Um, I think the way you sell in recruitment now for me has changed. It's about building trust. And I don't know if it's a gender thing, but the women that I have seem to build that trust a little better it's a softer sell and that seems to be working for us mm, excellent how do you find it up yeah i think i think it's about um i'd love to have more women in, in the office we're probably about 30 70 um and i looked at the data behind our recruits you know the, the candidates who are coming into us and it's 